All right. Um, thanks for trying something new with us this morning. If you're new here, we don't normally do that. Um, and we like to try new things and stretch and, and grow. And we like to hold on some things from the past as well. Some of the prayers that we pray together are ancient, hundreds of years old. And so we, we like this mixture of the old and, and, and new. And so thanks for bearing with us and, and trying new things together. That's kind of in the spirit of the book that we're studying, Hebrews, this letter that we've been in for the last few weeks. Is, is this elevating the old and reminding us how God has worked in the past and then showing us new things about how to think about Jesus and how to faithfully follow God today and in the future as well. So um, we're going to dive right into Hebrews chapter four. I said dive right in. Actually, we're going to take a detour and then we're going to dive in. Uh, so first, I just want to give us a brief recap of kind of where we've been and how, where we started here. And this letter, uh, which is really a sermon that was written to Jewish Christians living in Italy who were having uh, a really difficult time following Jesus. They were finding that to, to really follow Jesus, to, to, to be moving in the direction of Jesus-centered living, put them in conflict with their culture and created friction. Uh, between them and their culture that was painful and made it very difficult uh, for them to hold on to Jesus. So many of them uh, were, were letting go. They're actually letting go of Jesus. And uh, because they were, they were Jewish Christians, they, they were Jews before they were Christians. That was part of their, their identity and ethnically, and that's who they were, that they, many of them were reverting back to Judaism and the old covenant. Because they, they found that the way of Jesus was sometimes mysterious where the old covenant was kind of black and white. The old covenant was sort of about the law. And if you follow the law, and then if you break the law, then you know exactly what to do. You go to the temple and you make the sacrifice. And then, you know, you can be connected with God again until you sin the next time. And, and so for, for many of them, it was, it was more familiar and comfortable to go back to something that they knew rather than pay the high cost of following Jesus in their culture. Jews had a little bit of an easier time in ancient Rome than Christians just because uh, they had, had been around a long time, had been established, uh, they didn't have to pay taxes. There was sort of like this recognition uh, of the Jewish faith as a legitimate religion in Rome. And so Christianity was new and it was seen as a cult and it was really difficult for them uh, to, to live as Christians, but it was a little easier to live as Jews. And so many of them were just letting go of Jesus and going back to something that they thought was just as good, but more familiar and a little more black and white, right? And we kind of look at that and go, why would you want to go back to a system of, you know, 613 laws and, and you, can't even, you can't even know them all, much less keep them all. And then when, when you break one, you've got you to go to the temple and offer a sacrifice. And all that system just seems to us like, why would you want to go back to that? Why would you let go of Jesus for that? But I think this is a strong temptation for many of us in our culture. And I, I think we see this happening uh, around us. And, and if we're honest, I think we see it happening in us from time to time that, that when we find it difficult to follow Jesus in our culture, we tend to revert back to what is really a very elementary teaching about Christianity that basically says, well, there's heaven and hell, right? And you don't want to go to hell. So you should believe in God and believe in Jesus so that you, don't have, so that you can go to heaven when you die. Um, and for people that want to go to heaven when they die, you should probably go to church some. You should probably crack open the Bible from time to time. You should probably pray every now and then and just try to be a decent human, be nice. 
And that's sort of a very elementary version that many of us started with in, in Sunday school and kind of have held on to over the years. And so when this idea, when we learn more about what it really looks like to be Jesus-centered in our culture, and we find that this really puts us in conflict, we're moving in the opposite direction of our culture. We kind of go, well, what if we just go back to this elementary, sort of more black and white, like, just, I don't want to go to hell, I want to go to heaven, so I'll go to church sometimes and read the Bible sometimes and be nice. Can we just do that? And I think the message that the Hebrews writer is sending to uh, these Jewish Christians in Rome is the same message that if he were standing here today or she, we don't know, would say to us today is, you can't go back. I mean, you can't go back. It's Jesus is where it's at. Jesus is where you're actually gonna find what you need And yes, it's difficult, and it's supposed to be. Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you will have everything you ever wanted. No. You guys, some of you know how that ends. In this world, you're going to have what? Trouble. Trouble. And you're like, yep. I Trouble. Seen it. Been there. I'm in it. He told his disciples, like, you think they're persecuting me? You just wait. You just wait. They're they're persecuting me. They're having a hard time. They can't find me. I can walk through crowds and they can't touch me. I can do things, but man, they're gonna come after you. And they did. And it was difficult. But the way that he ends that sentence, in this world you will have trouble, is with, the next line is, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Like I'm the guy in charge. I, I have everything that you need. So don't, don't let go of Jesus and go back to this elementary teaching that, that maybe was good to get you started, but it's, 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 it's always been inadequate. It's always been incomplete. It's always been temporary. Don't, don't go back just because it's difficult. Get a grip on Jesus. Hold on tight. Okay, so that was my 30-second recap that turned into a five-minute mini-sermon. Uh, apologies. Let's... Um, <laughs> I love you, Stephen. Uh, let's, let's get into Hebrews chapter four. This is right where we left off last week. And we left off here on purpose because if I had started with this next verse, there would have been a lot of questions. So we're gonna answer them all today, except for one. Somebody earlier asked me, when are we gonna talk about Melchizedek? That's next week. So if, you, if you're like, what's, what's a Melchizedek? You'll find out next week. We'll, we'll dig into that. So today, uh, Hebrews chapter four, uh, 14 through 16, you know your part is underlined. Um, you're going to say that out loud with us, and uh, we'll do this together. Let's try to get, let's just do verse 14. Therefore, since we have a, who has Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Okay, let's, let's pause there. He says, we're going we're gonna to hold on tight to Jesus. Why? Because he is our great high priest who has ascended into heaven. And if, if you've been around church for a long time, you're like, oh, those phrases sound familiar. Cool, yeah, Jesus, high priest, he's in heaven, great. But if we're really honest, we kind of go, I don't know what that has to do with me holding firmly to my faith. What, why is Jesus as a high priest a reason for me to hold on tight to my faith? And that's an honest question, right? So let's, let's uncover that because this is, he's a good preacher. He's gonna tell us what he means by this. Uh, verse 15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
Okay, so uh, there's a lot there. We're gonna unpack some of that in a minute. I just wanna talk about priests uh, so that we understand where we're coming from uh, with this idea of Jesus as a high priest. So where, where did priests come from? Where, do you, where can you find priests, in, especially in, in ancient times? All of the ancient religions had priests in some form or another. Uh, this is not exclusive to the Jewish faith or to, you know, to God's people. There were, there were priests in every ancient culture. And the priest's job was to sort of be a bridge between the people and the deity. And so the people would bring their sacrifices or offerings or whatever to the priest, and the priest would you know, pass that on to the deity. And the deity then would come, and uh, if he was pleased, would offer blessings then to the people through the priest. And the priest would sort of dispense the blessings to the people. So that's kind of how that, that worked in, in other religions. Uh, the priest was someone who had been set apart in some way. They, not just anybody could be a priest. You had to be, uh, oftentimes there was kind of a ritual cleansing involved or um, you had to be descended from a certain line of people or you had to go through some special training or something had to happen to make you the kind of person that can be a little closer to the deity than a regular person so that you can serve as this broker, this mediator, Right. So where do we find this priesthood showing up in Scripture? Well, if we, if we start at the beginning, Adam and Eve didn't need a priest, right? Because they, they were already close to God. They, they could interact directly with God. There was no sin to separate them. So they didn't need a priest, but they sort of functioned as priests over creation. God said, you're, I'm gonna, you're gonna rule creation with me. And so Adam and Eve were supposed to bless all of creation through ruling with God. So they, they were kind of serving as this mediator between God and creation and, and blessing the world. And then sin enters the picture. Adam and Eve are separated from God uh, because he's holy and, and, and sin is, makes us unholy and, and so they couldn't connect. Uh, so then we get to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God calls Abraham and says, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take you out of this land. I'm gonna take you to a new land and um, I'm gonna bless you. And through you, I'm gonna bless everybody on earth. And so God is essentially setting Abraham apart as someone who can be close to him and saying, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna worship me and just obey me. And then I am going to bless you and bless people through you. So Abraham is sort of functioning as a priest in a sense in that he's, he's kind of closer to God and he's kind of this, this connecting point for, for other people to see who God is, to know him and to receive his, his blessing. And then we get to Moses, when Moses uh, gets the, the Ten Commandments and the instructions for the tabernacle and uh, the sacrificial system. And as a part of all this, he's told to establish a line of priests. And these we would call the Levitical priesthood. So what's the Levitical priesthood and what, what do they do? Levitical is not just from the book of Leviticus, although there's a lot in there about priests, but Leviticus is titled Leviticus because it's about the tribe of Levi. Levi was one of the 12 sons of Jacob and God kind of set that tribe aside as these are the, these are the people where the priests are gonna come from. So all priests were Levites, not all Levites were priests but they functioned in this role of serving as these, these uh, intercessors for the people. So let's look at some of the roles of the Levitica, Levitical, Leviticus, uh, these priests. It's talking is hard. So the priests, first of all, they served as a bridge, right? They, they are a connecting point between God and the people. So the people bring their sacrifices to the priests and the priests sort of help them offer these sacrifices to God. And then God blesses the people, uh, offers forgiveness through the, through the priests. Because the people, when they sin, they can't go directly to God on their own. So we, they need priests. Um, the priests, in order to serve in this role, they have to be holy. They have to be holy so they can be close to God 
so they can offer the sacrifices and receive the blessing. So the priests are holy. How do they get holy? Are they born holy? Are they just, do they say some words? Or how do, how do they get holy? They have to be sanctified. That's a kind of a Bible word for made holy. They, they have to go through this process and they, they have to be kind of tested and evaluated in order to serve as priests. And so they, they, they go through a ritual cleansing. They're, they're bathed in water. Uh, they, the clothes they wear have to be special clothes that are, that are sanctified, they're, you know, holy clothes, uh, not in the sense that they have holes in them, but they're special clothes. They have to be anointed with oil. They have to be touched with blood. And, and they have to be kind of physically okay. They can't have any physical blemishes or anything wrong with them physically. Um, there are over 100 blemishes that a priest, a person could have that would disqualify them from being a priest. So there were a lot of things, that, that a lot of hoops to jump through, a lot of different things you had to do to become this person who gets to mediate between God and people. And yet, even with all of that, the priests themselves still sinned. So you've got these people who are supposed to be their connection and they're supposed to be holy, and yet they have to offer sacrifices for their own sins, including for the sins of the people because they're, they're human just like everybody else and they sin too. So it, it's kind of an incomplete system. And it's intentionally incomplete. God sort of set this up so that it would be temporary and inadequate because he wants to develop in the hearts of the people a longing for a better way. The people, are, the people of Israel are constantly looking for someone who is, who is gonna be what they are supposed to be, who, who's gonna follow God perfectly, who's gonna obey God perfectly. And, and they look for a time, they look to, for Abraham, to Abraham for that, and he wasn't that. They look to Moses for that, and he wasn't that. They look to David for that, and he wasn't that. But they're, they're longing all the time for a better way, a better type of priest. And so we get to Hebrews chapter four, and he says, here he is. This type of priest that you have been longing for your whole history as a people is right here. It's Jesus. He's not just a priest, he's a high priest. So what's a high priest do? Well, obviously a high priest is above the other priests. He's higher than. Um, but the main thing that makes a high priest different is that he gets to go somewhere nobody else gets to go. He gets to go into the presence of God. So in the, in the tabernacle, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. It's really kind of the heart of the tabernacle. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And this is where God would show up. When, when God wanted to show up in front of the people, he showed up in the Holy of Holies. And this is a very special place. I mean, it's holier than the other places. It's the Holy of Holies, right? So no one can go in there except the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement, which the Jews uh, still celebrate, it's uh, called Yom Kippur. And the Day of Atonement is when the priest, the high priest offers sacrifices for all of the, the people. So the whole nation of Israel, uh, they are, confess their sins and repent of their sins as a nation and they're offered, uh, they offer the sacrifice and their sins as a, as a whole people are covered on the Day of Atonement. And so the high priest goes in to the Holy of Holies that one day a year to offer that sacrifice. And he's the only one who can do that. So how is Jesus like a high priest? Well, uh, first we see that he serves as a mediator, right? Uh, Hebrews chapter five, if we um, continue on reading there. Are you ready? Thank you, Tia. Let's do it. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to... Yeah, he's a mediator. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. That is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, 
but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. So he's saying Jesus serves as a mediator for us. God called him to this um, and gave him this uh, role, this responsibility of serving as the great high priest. So he serves as a bridge, just like a priest. Jesus is holy like the priest, except Jesus didn't have to be made holy. Jesus was holy already. We read in chapter four, verse 15, that he was tempted in every way just as we are and yet was without sin, right? So Jesus was holy like a priest or holy, except he was he was, he was better because he didn't have to be made holy. And then Jesus can enter the presence of God like only the high priest can. That's what we read in four, uh, verse 14, that he ascended into heaven. Well, well who lives in heaven? That's God, that's where his, his throne room is. And so because Jesus is holy and he's this bridge between God and people and he suffered and died and uh, was raised from the dead, then he ascends into heaven into the place where only the great high priest can go. So, so Jesus is, is like a, a high priest for all the people and doing the things that only a high priest can do. At this point, we're like, okay, cool. So what? Like, wh- what does that mean for us? If the Hebrews writer starts off in, in verse 14 saying, here's the reason to hold on firmly to Jesus. He's our great high priest. We're all like, well, I mean, that's cool and all, but why is that a reason to hold on to him? I'm not sure I quite get it yet. Well, good, because he's not done explaining yet. So let's go to chapter seven, verse 23. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because he has a permanent priesthood, therefore he is able to, those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Here it is. This is why Jesus as a high priest is a reason for us to hold on tight to him. He, he can save completely. This old system, I mean, the, the, the Hebrews writer is thinking here about these Jews who are going back to the old covenant and, and he's going, this old system couldn't save you completely. It was always inadequate. It was always temporary because you had to keep coming to offer these sacrifices day after day. And the people who are offering the sacrifices for you, they're not perfect either. They're offering their sacrifices for their own sins. It was always inadequate. And he's saying, Jesus can save completely. And then he says, Jesus truly meets our need. Jesus truly meets our need. What, what is our need? What is at the heart of human, human, humanity, human nature? What was our deep need? You and I were created for a relationship with our creator. And a relationship based on love, on a perfect Love, that's what we were made for, right? Where are we gonna find that? How are we gonna get there? Jesus is the only one who can truly meet that need. And why would we go back? He's, he's saying to these Jewish Christians, why would you go back to this, 
broken system, this incomplete system that always was intended to point us to Jesus. Why would you go back to that? And for us today, if he was here today, he would say, why would you go back to this elementary teaching about like, I just don't want to go to hell when I die? Why would you go back to that? That's inadequate. It's incomplete. It doesn't meet your deep need for a relationship with your creator. Don't go backwards. Jesus is the only one. He offered a sacrifice for sins once for all. I mean, you didn't go and sacrifice any animals this week to cover for your sins, did you? What did you do? If you sinned, you confessed, you repented, and God forgave you. That's how that worked for you this week, right? Maybe this morning, maybe five minutes ago. I don't know. That's how, that's how that works. We don't, we don't offer these sacrifices. Jesus offered one sacrifice once for all. Why would we go back to a system where we just live in guilt, we live in fear, I mean, if, if your faith is all about just hoping you go to heaven when you die, how do you know if you've done enough? How, how do you know? I mean, because you've, I mean, let's, let's be honest, there's some, some dark stuff there in, in the past. How, how do you know it's all taken care of? Where's your hope come from? We, we gotta think about what Jesus really offers us and that there's really nothing better in this world that we live in. Yes, there's a high cost to following Jesus. There should be. If you're not experiencing the high cost of following Jesus, you gotta ask yourself if you're doing it right. But Jesus offers something nobody else does. So let's, let's talk about why we might be tempted to revert back to something dif- different and what helps us hold on to Jesus. So let's talk about bridges. Um, let's show you a picture of the Amazon River. This is the Amazon. It's 4,300 and something miles long. That's just a little bit of it right there. That's not the whole thing. Uh, 4,300 and something miles long. Anybody want to guess how many bridges there are across the Amazon River? Just throw out a number. Zero bridges on the Amazon River. Did somebody get it? All right, nice, Cooper. Isn't that weird? Like, why? You got to ask why are there no bridges across the Amazon? Some of you are Googling it right now because you're pretty sure that's not right. Hey, the internet told me there are no bridges. Never wrong. Well, part, part of it is like, there's just nobody wants a bridge. There, there's, there's not a, a big enough need. There's not high population densities of people living on the Amazon. Um, it's, it's a pretty wild place to be in the world. And uh, the idea of like building bridges, you got to really want a bridge. You got to really want to get to the other side if you're going to build a bridge across the Amazon. Like you got to have a good reason. And most of the people who live there are like, well, everything we need is on this side. So why do we need to go to the other side? We're fine. Or we'll just take a canoe if we got to go, right? Um, Let's show another river. This is the River Thames in uh, London. Anybody seen that? Anybody ever been there? It's pretty cool. Um, how many bridges do you think? It's 200 miles long, 215-ish miles long compared to 4,000. How many bridges do you think there are across the River Thames? Oh, lots, of, lots of great guesses and numbers and people are just like shooting from the hip. Okay, 140 bridges across the River Thames. Why? Because there are a lot of people there who want to get to the other side. They're like, well, my... My job is over there, or my family's over there, or my gym is over there, Chick-fil-A is over there. Like, I gotta, I gotta get to the other side. So there's gotta be a Chick-fil-A in London, right? Gotta be. Otherwise, why would you live there? I don't know. I, 
here's, here's what I'm trying to get at. If you don't want to get to the other side, you don't need a bridge. And, and I'm, I'm just convinced that there are a lot of people in our world today. There are people in your neighborhood, in your home. There might be people in your mirror looking back at you who just don't really want to get to the other side. If Jesus is connecting us to our creator, is that what you really want? Do you, do you wake up wanting to get to the other side of that? recognizing that you can't do it on your own, but you're willing to do whatever it takes to get there. We have to want to be connected to God for Jesus to be at the center of our lives. Many, many people struggle with this idea of, of Jesus-centered living. Like, I don't even know why I need that. I, I'm a pretty good person. I go to church sometimes. I try not to do all the bad things that come to mind. Why, why do I need this, this idea of Jesus-centeredness that's gonna put me in conflict with my culture and make my life difficult? Why do I want that? Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. Man, if, 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 if we hunger for a relationship with our creator, we will have a Jesus-centered life because he's the only way. And if we don't have a Jesus-centered life, I think we gotta ask the question, am I really hungry for a relationship with my creator? Hunger, hunger's weird, right? Sometimes I'm not hungry, but I'll eat junk food, right? And sometimes I am hungry and um, all I want is junk food. And like, there, there's just this weird thing where this food that's not even good for me is, is what's easy, it's what's at hand, it's, it tastes good, right? Man, it's so tempting in this life to say, I'm hungry for something. Like, I know I need love. I know I need acceptance. I know I need grace. But what's cheap and delicious and convenient? Well, there's a lot of options in the world that you can pursue that make you feel better for a little while. But man, Jesus... Jesus truly meets our need for peace and joy and purpose, for love and acceptance, for the freedom to live as people who can serve others without needing anything in return. And Jesus provides that, and he's the only way. So I, I wanna encourage you, challenge you, provoke you maybe to develop your hunger for a relationship with your creator. I wanna give you just a few things. These are not on the screen, so I have to actually listen. Um, First, confess sin. Well, that seems like a weird place to start, but here's what happens when we confess our sin. I mean like out loud, okay? I don't mean like in your heart, you said, God, I know I haven't been perfect today. I mean like out loud, the things, the specific things that you did that were dishonoring to God today. You're like, whew, I don't have time for that in my life. Confess, when you confess your sins out loud, what, what will immediately come to mind is that you need Jesus, <laughs> Because it's easy for us to think like, I'm a pretty good person. I'm better than, I'm better than them and I'm better than them. So I'm not, I'm not doing too bad. But when we confess our sins, we recognize, no, nope, I'm pretty bad. I'm a sinner and, and I need Jesus. I need a savior. So confessing our sin creates a hunger in us for God. Um, when we remember God's faithfulness, this is another good practice. Remember God's faithfulness. Again, do this out loud, externalize this with other people. Talk about what God has done in your history 
that has been a blessing to you, that has, that has comforted you when you needed it, that has been a source of peace and joy for you. When we remember God's faithfulness, it creates a hunger for us. We just want more of it. So remember God's faithfulness together. Read about his promises in scripture. There are a lot of promises in scripture. Some have been fulfilled and some have yet to be fulfilled. But every promise will come true. God, God will keep all of his promises. So when he says, hey, there's coming a time. I'm gonna make all things new. We're gonna have a whole new creation here. The kingdom of God will be all there is for humans. You're gonna experience his, his rule and reign perfectly. There'll be no more tears, no more sickness, no more cancer, no more divorce, no more of all of this stuff that brings pain into our lives. It's, it's all gone. That's a promise. Read about his promises. When we read those promises, man, it, it creates a hunger in us. I want... I want more of that. I wanna, I wanna go wherever that's gonna be. And, and last, just spend some time listening to God. This is a strange practice for some people. If you've kind of um, never done this, it's, it's, it's new, it's difficult when you get, first get started. But man, listening to God just requires getting quiet, being by yourself, and putting away distractions and just asking God to speak to you. Meditating on a verse of scripture. But, but listen to God. Let him enter into your world, into your heart and mind. Because when, when God speaks to you, that connection, you're gonna want more of that. It'll, it'll create a hunger for you. If you don't really want to get to the other side, you don't need a bridge. So here, here's what we get to do. When we have a hunger for God and, and we... Um, we pursue that through a relationship with Jesus. We actually get to be priests for everybody else in the world. I didn't make that up. Peter said it. Uh, Peter was uh, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, a fisherman. And he wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He wrote this to the believers. So this is like to you. If, so imagine Peter standing up here, um, smelling like fish, speaking in uh, Aramaic, and here's what he has to say. But you are a chosen people. Ooh, say that again. A holy nation. God's special possession. Why? And that's our, that's our purpose. That's, that's what we get to do. When, when, when we choose to move in the direction of Jesus-centered living because we have this hunger for God, that causes us to pursue him, the only way we can actually get there, then we become priests for the rest of the world. We become the people who can connect other people to God. We become the people who get to go to everybody else and say, God loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. He made a way for you to be with him. Get to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into wonderful light. We're priests. Isn't that beautiful? Did you know that you're a priest? You're cool. You can introduce yourself that way. We're low priests. We're not high priests, but you can, you know, I'm Adam, low priest of God. And that's what we get to do. We get to build a bridge for people to find Jesus, connect with their creator. And it's our hunger for God that sort of comes and goes, doesn't it? So I just, I just want to encourage you and challenge you to cultivate that hunger for God that causes, that pushes you to Jesus, drives you right to the foot of the cross, drives you right into the arms of Christ. So we're just going to pray a simple prayer as we close. Would you stand and we'll pray together?
This will be right on time because it's almost lunchtime. Some of you are getting a little peckish, but we're gonna pray that God would make us hungry for him. Just a very simple prayer. Make me hungry for you. There's so many other things that we can pursue to satisfy the longings inside of us that are just gonna let us down, leave us broken and empty. But he never will. So we're just gonna pray this simple prayer. I'm just gonna give you some time to pray this prayer on your own. Make me hungry for you. And then I'll close this out.